0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Research for Practice podcast. Today we're joined by not one, but two great guests, with Dr Penny Sorensen and Professor Jonathan Dickens. They're here to talk to us about the first annual review of rapid reviews and local safeguarding practice reviews of child death and serious injury. Replacing the old system of serious case reviews, this is a new system for reviewing cases where children are killed or seriously hurt from suspected neglect or abuse. Now it goes without saying, this is one of the hardest and most emotionally wrought arenas of safeguarding. Although we don't talk about the details of individual cases, we do talk more generally about some emotive topics. But we also get into some quite detailed discussion about the processes of this new system and how it's working. Bear with us, because these systems are critically important to how we manage and get better at keeping children safe. With all that said, Let's get on with the podcast. Hello, welcome Jonathan and Penny. It's really great to have you on the podcast. It's a slightly different podcast this week in that there's uh, four of us virtually meeting rather than Natasha and I grilling one poor individual. Um, so it's all going to work out a bit differently. But, but yes, welcome.
1: Hi, Penny. Hi, Jonathan. Nice to have you. Hi,
0: Natasha. Hi, Cassian.
1: It's, it's really nice to have you. And, and as has said, this is um, a slightly different podcast because we've got two of you. But it's also slightly different because we're actually talking about a commissioned piece of research rather than your own research interest necessarily. So Jonathan, can you just tell us a little bit about the research that we want to talk about today?
2: Yeah, Okay. So it's a piece of work that Penny and I and and you did, uh, Natasha, (laughs) as well here at UEA. But together with uh, our colleagues from the University of Birmingham. So we also have Professor Julie Taylor, uh, Dr. Joe Garstang and Dr. Nutmeg-Hallett. The first annual review of rapid reviews and local child safeguarding practice reviews. I think I'll try and call them just practice reviews. To yeah, it got a bit of a mouthful. <laughs> bit of a mouthful. And uh, this is a new system of uh, locally based inquiries into serious cases. Cases where children have died or suffered significant harm and uh, abuse or neglect are suspected to be part of that, either directly causing it or, or related to it. And uh, there's a new system of doing these locally based reviews that's come into force it's come to being since about 2018 it had a phased introduction but now all local areas should have a local child safeguarding partnership the three main partners the statutory partners are the local authority the police and health services through the clinical commissioning groups and when these sad events happen the partnership will send a notification uh, into the dfe for every case where there's a notification, they have to do a rapid review uh, within 15 working days to identify the main things that happened, take any action they might need to deal with immediate consequences, safeguard other children, and ask what lessons are there for practice and do we need to go a step further to investigate those lessons more thoroughly? If they think they do need to go a step further, then they commission a local child safeguarding practice review where they have six months to do that then the idea is that those practice reviews, are they're written for publication, the rapid reviews aren't published, and they should involve practitioners and, if possible, family members. So that's the new system and replacing the old system of uh, of serious case reviews.
1: So you obviously looked at those, the new system, but before we sort of go into that in more detail, can you tell us what prompted the change? Where was the need for it?
2: Serious case reviews have been actually with us for a long time since 1988 that system was introduced it's been uh, revised and adapted over the years it's also has to be said been much criticized over the years it's been criticized often for being overly descriptive the reports they produce very lengthy Criticised for being a very slow system very expensive and the lessons come around again and again oh um communicate better with children oh exchange information better and so on These sort of history of concerns came to a head in 2016. Sir Alan Wood was commissioned by the government to do a review of local child safeguarding boards and as part of that, the serious case review system. And he recommended a new system which has led to local child safeguarding partnerships and this new system of rapid reviews and practice reviews. The idea is to focus on what new learning there is, let's not repeat the same old lessons that we all know, have the, the rapid review as a sort of filter, if you like. Not every case that has a rapid review needs to go to a practice review. Focus on the learning, be more analytic, less descriptive, and uh, let's get the lessons out more effectively.
1: So, Penny, um, in effect... The team did a review of the reviews following a review <laughs> um, and changes in legislation. So
3: how did you go about that? What did you do? So it's sort of our three-step process. We were required to look at a 25% uh, sample of the rapid reviews. Um, those rapid reviews were selected to be representative by the panel, by the national panel. So that we ended up with 135 rapid reviews. 81 serious harm and 54 deaths. Then we also reviewed what turned out to be all of the practice reviews, the local child safeguarding practice reviews that had been completed by that date, which were only 33. And we were expecting a lot more than that, but there For some various reasons, uh, many of them hadn't been completed or or published, so not available to us. We still looked at some that hadn't been published. So it was quite a small sample of of the practice reviews.
2: Of course. And of course, 2020 was a remarkable year. I think we have to always allow for that Mm. as well. But uh, I think there were 182 serious notifications in 2020. So we we were expected 90. And that was what the government, the DFE and the national panel told us in the brief. And in fact, we've got 33. So that's quite a big falling off. And 15 had been published. There are reasons why they're not published, often to do with criminal proceedings. So we know there are others in the pipeline to be published. But the whole idea of the practice reviews was that they were written for publication. So that messages could get out there to find after a year and a half or so of this new system existing. Only 15 had been published, I think is a is a problem. And the national panel. Uh, are certainly planning to sort of pick that up
3: because in fact there were more of the serious case reviews when we had that system that were published in fact they were beginning to be you know pretty good at, at writing them for publication whereas previously like in the first triangle review that I worked on which was the 2011 to 2014 cases there were still issues with redactions when published also you know there, there were still worries about publishing because a child might be, or a family might be identified. And so and that got a lot better for the second triennial review that we did with the 2014 to 2017 uh, cases that we looked at. You know, people were writing much more for publication.
1: I mean that's the thing. Uh, actually, we've got a, a history of reviews here. That it's an experienced team, isn't it, in terms of doing the reviews, looking at the practice um, of this. So, looking at these new, uh, the new way of doing things, was there anything that particularly surprised you, other than the lack of publication?
3: I think what surprised me was how little is done with the with the rapid reviews. Some of which were actually really good. And obviously because they're not published, no one sees them, which does demonstrate the importance of the annual review of, of rapid reviews, I think, but there seemed to be quite a lot of learning, but if it wasn't new learning, they were not to they, they would not commission a um a practice review,
2: the full review i th- I think what what stands out for me actually is the variety of the reports, the rapid reviews. And the practice reviews, variety in terms of length, content, and quality, and particularly the practice reviews, and maybe that isn't surprising because the position of the national panel is that they are they are very reluctant to issue uh, prescriptive guidance to the partnerships. The result is that we have people doing these reviews for the first time, most of them, without very prescriptive guidance to follow. So they've ended up doing something that looks pretty much like an old serious case review. we were looking very much at the, at the first stages of this system, you know, the early days, people learning as they go. So I think it would be interesting to come back in a year or two's time and do it again and see has there been change over time? Has this panel, which is so keen on driving through this message, it's not about reporting. It's about learning. Has that message got through? What they, I think what they want to see is shorter reports, more focused. Some were very lengthy still, very descriptive. But some also we thought were actually too short, actually. They, they didn't have enough material there. So there, there's a sort of sweet spot in the middle that people have to get to. I can see
0: how it might be difficult for the local professionals doing that in that they're not really sure what's being asked of them. Out of your reviews, are we going to be getting to, OK, so this is what a good one looks like, and is that then going to be disseminated out? Or are we going to go through a continual cycle of just a whole mix of quality every time? How is that going to be filtered out and built on?
2: I think there will be a mix because there's a whole range of different methodologies, aren't there, for doing these ser- what were serious case reviews. I suspect some of these new method- methodologies will come through. But I think the panel's approach is to call uh, meetings with their safeguarding partners, they talk about, about this in their, their latest annual report, to try to engage in dialogue with the partnerships and with the authors of the review and bring about changes through a process of discussion. Behind this phrase learning that they want so much, we want more learning, they are open to a variety of ways of doing that. They would say they're trying to get local partnerships to think.
3: I think. Also, I mean, they are always going to be variable, aren't they? I mean, we found that when we did uh, the quality analysis for the serious case reviews, because the cases are so varied, aren't they? I mean, Mm. I I know that we've found some really good uh, reviews have not been too lengthy, been really precise and informative and clear, uh, even when it's been a review, perhaps about a group of children, siblings, or in the cases of child sexual exploitation. And we have also found reviews, you know, about one individual child or family, which have been too long and, and, and too complex. But I do think sometimes in the more complex cases, it's, it's very hard to write a short review.
0: Yeah, and you do need to have that flexibility of being able to draw on lots of different models depending on the cases that are presented. So the rapid reviews aren't published but they decide whether it then goes for a panel review and a more in-depth analysis of what happened. So they decide if there's more learning to be had, in which case it then goes to the panel. Is there not a danger there in those rapid reviews being very politicised because they, as they are unpublished, they are are like the gatekeeper to whether these cases are afforded greater scrutiny?
2: Well, what happens is the local panel, uh, the local partnership, will make a recommendation at the end of their rapid review, whether there should be a local practice review or not. And then the rapid reviews are reviewed by the national panel, and they might accept that recommendation, or they might send it back and say, no, we don't agree with this. Now, this is one of the interesting things, that um, in nearly a third of the cases, they sent it back. And they in the usual circumstance of sending it back, was when the rapid, when the rapid review concluded something like, there is some more learning to do, but probably not as much as we need a full uh, local child safeguarding practice review. We just need a, a multi-agency meeting or something, and that would get sent back by the national panel because the national panel said if you've got any further form of inquiry, you need to call it a local child safeguarding practice review. But that, of course, adds to the confusion because then you could have a local child safeguarding practice review, which basically was one multi-agency meeting or one which was an extensive series of meetings. Again, it makes it so hard to compare the practice reviews. But it's interesting, a third, they sent them back, which certainly suggests to me that there's a bit of uncertainty about those criteria. Um, There's a lot of discussion to go on. I think the panel takes that point in their um, annual report that was published in May 2021. They do say they're going to have more discussions with their partnerships about that.
1: Moving away from the sort of mechanics and the the processes, what for you were the key messages that you want to to get out from
2: from the review that you did? For me, uh, the key messages, if you like, are not new ones, but they're messages we always need to learn. One is about understanding practice in context, the context of organisational pressures, of wider social policy demands as well. Those fundamental dilemmas of uh, supporting families and protecting children, of trusting families and using healthy scepticism or respectful uncertainty, all those words we see, messages about interprofessional cooperation. And particularly, I think, messages about asking the second question, if a family isn't engaging, why? Let's, Let's not just use that as an excuse to close the case too quickly. I did see some some examples of that. If a young person is showing very troubled behaviour, there were examples of people thinking, well, that's just typical teenage behaviour. When in fact, the child was really giving some some important clues to what they were experiencing and what they were going through. It is is about learning the messages that we all know, but it's about understanding them, not in a blaming way, not in an individualising way contextualizing that and trying to bring about improvements in practice through that sort of informed route rather than through a, a blaming and a finger-wagging sort of route
3: yeah I, I just kind of feel like a common thread across all of these things what we found is all about relationships It's, you know, it's about professional relationships. It's about professionals' relationships with families. You know, so you're talking about perhaps someone not engaging, you know, is is it because they haven't managed to get the time to build a relationship with a professional that's trying to support them? Um, And this sort of lack of communication between professionals, is it because professionals don't get the chance to get together, know each other, form relationships so they know, you know, when, when, when they contact someone, they can perhaps sometimes put a face to a voice and that that kind of thing. Um, so I think there's a lot about relationships, um, relationships between families and their children as well, which fitted under all of these things that, that that we found, I think, you know, about, you know, identification and referral was one of our themes, you know, how without understanding a family or understanding a child, um, how, how can you even start to think, how can you identify the problem? So perhaps like teachers, you know, get, getting a good relationships
2: with, with their pupils. Another thing that struck me very much is how much wider the definition of safeguarding has become. And I think, you know, our, our serious case review system over many years has really been built on a sort of picture of intrafamilial abuse and Actually, what we're dealing with now and what the safeguarding system deals with now is a much much wider range of the contextual factors with sexual exploitation, criminal exploitation, county lines, teenage suicides, trafficking it's a much much bigger picture, and that again makes the job you know much harder and 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 the systems i think some of our systems are creaking a bit to deal with that broader, broader definition and broader approach. So I think that that's another factor we need to think about as well.
1: Oh, I mean, that's interesting, isn't it, that you you said it's a broader approach now. Um, and when you think of and reflect on like the care review that's happening at the moment and the, the question about do you think safeguarding should be something separate to the wider children's system? I mean, what are your thoughts on that, bearing in mind what you've learned through doing this review of the rapid reviews and practice reviews?
2: Yes, the, the care review, the sort of um, whispers that you hear going around are that uh, one of the possibilities is to suggest a split of safeguarding and supportive services. I think my message from these serious case reviews is that that would be actually very damaging, very counterproductive. It would be damaging for the families and the children. I think actually would be damaging for social work and for the professional activity to support them very Disruptive, I think. In terms of regular messages from case reviews, another one that comes up is actually the damaging impact of reorganizations. uh, How much energy and time they absorb, and children fall through the cracks. So that's that's sort of immediate one, but a longer term one. I think what the serious case reviews show us all the way is it's it's very very hard to tell the difference between the sort of um, malign. Uh, abuser, children need to be safeguarded from, to all the families who are struggling or vulnerable who might make a drastic, a drastic, horrible mistake, you know, but need support to prevent that. It's not clear blue water. Very, very rarely could you say this person is a dangerous abuser. This child is at very grave risk. It's much more of a, a gradient and people have to be open to spot the clues. All workers, support workers need to be open, alert to the risks. But the safeguarding workers, people who are labelled safeguarding workers, also need to be skilled in the support and the clear thinking. I think trying to separate them is a a false goal, a complete chimera, an illusion that that would solve anything. I think it would really make things worse.
1: So one of the things that um, struck me reading through a lot of these reports is the The word learning that keeps coming up and training and we need more learning, we need more training. And that's what we talked about a lot already this morning. How do you think we can do that? Because training comes up and that seems to always be the answer. But actually, if training was the answer, we wouldn't necessarily need more training. Where
3: for you is the complexities in that and what can we do to think differently about it? Well, I, I think that professionals actually already know a lot, a lot of the things that we're finding. It's it's not new necessarily to, be, you know, anyone who's been trained as a social worker or, or a health worker of some description or police, you know, there's some sort of training in vulnerability and, and safeguarding. So I think maybe it's just not possible for everyone to know everything all the time. And, you know, I, I know in, in, in some organisations have this sort of... Um, People who have a specialist interest in something that other people can then go to. So, you know, you you know a bit about child sexual exploitation, perhaps, and, and you know that these are some of the signs, but you need to run it by someone. It, and it seems safe to then go to the person who sort of um, is the expert or has had perhaps more training um, to go and, uh, and speak to them. And we certainly found that in, in other research that I've done, you know, so within housing, that was the sort of way that they worked. So I think, yeah, I think it's perhaps everyone knows a bit about a lot of things, but to have the expert no- expert knowledge is, is not always easy on on everything. so if, if, if you can go somewhere where you feel safe to ask uh, questions and, and seek advice,
2: I'd agree with what you've said. People do know it, actually. This is, this is not new learning, actually this is stuff that we do know. It's about applying it, isn't it? It's about helping people to apply it in the face of very busy workloads, those competing imperatives that they have to support and protect and to trust and to be sceptical and so on. And perhaps so perhaps rather than training, perhaps we think more of opportunities to reflect, opportunities for supervision, opportunities to talk with colleagues and more experienced colleagues. I think that's how you people learn. Um, how, how do you do this subtle work? This really subtle work of supporting families and asking those rather hard questions—those questions with a point to them—a skilled work. And beginning social workers, I think, need help. When they come off the training courses, you know, I hope they will have the beginnings of those skills, but they need considerable support and further help to be able to use them comfortably, confidently. They all do. So. For me, I'd be thinking about things about supervision, but also about mentoring, about using the more experienced people you have in your teams to help junior members. A bit of just simply going on joint visits, watching how that that social worker asks that hard question in such a sort of um, skillful way that the families don't immediately get angry, don't get hostile, are able to answer them. For me it's not just about training courses it's about that sort of learning in practice that is the thing we need to be thinking about
0: the critical question then is from these reviews that you've reviewed are they doing the job in terms of identifying necessary learning and getting it out there are they actually up to
2: the task i'd say two things i'd say well first it's still early days for this new system of reviews It started in 2018. It was a sort of phased introduction since September 2019. The old system of serious case reviews has ended. Everything from then on should be a local, a rapid review, followed by, if necessary, a local practice review. And then it was the COVID year. Most authors have only done one of these new systems. So we've got to give it time. The panel, too, is relatively new, the National Child Safeguarding Practice Review Panel. That's only been going since 2018. I think we need to give that time. I think it is actually beginning to have an impact, actually, building relationships with the local partnerships, driving through change. So it's early days. I think that's important to bear in mind. My second point, perhaps going back to what I've said before, is we've got to resist the idea that there are easy solutions out there or even hard solutions out there it's it's not solvable some of these dilemmas you know protection and support care and control trust and skepticism the privacy of the family and the powers of the state we're never going to solve these we're always going to be talking about them and perhaps recognizing that we're always going to be talking about them and always going to be struggling with them that's i think the important message i hope that'll stop the sort of rather finger wagging now just do it why aren't you doing this sort of approach? I don't think that's helpful. I don't think that's realistic. It's not grounded in the reality of practice.
3: I think um a benefit of the of the national panel is um the other reviews that they commission, the, the national reviews of issues that seem to uh you know come up again and again. You know, what what do we know about sudden unexpected death of infants was one of them. They they did another one or are going to do one, uh, a review on suicides. And They've done two other reviews as well, and they've commissioned quite a few um, uh, literature reviews on, on certain issues. So I think commissioning in-depth exploration of certain issues that are coming up again and again, I think that's a benefit um, that perhaps we didn't have before. And, and I suppose
1: in doing so with those um, national reviews, what we're getting is some really clear messages then about how we can think about practice around some of these issues. Um, and then, like you say, maybe then thinking about well, how do we then put that into practice, which is obviously where we come from in terms of these podcasts. It's about putting the stuff from research into practice. Um, and, and that still remains the biggest challenge. And I think this is what the the rapid reviews and the practice reviews are showing us It's still a challenge to put any
2: research into practice. Don't necessarily I agree. It's using research to help us understand practice. I think that's useful. And I think there are lots of examples actually of learning and and that's worth remembering about this serious case review system and the new practice review system. Actually, when we focus on these hard cases, we are focusing on a very small minority of cases that social workers and other welfare agencies have been involved with. We're focusing on the things that have gone wrong. And in fact, you know, the, the broader picture is much more positive. You know, it portrays our social care system is a failing system, and that actually isn't fair. International comparisons, statistics over time show that when it comes to actually protecting children from death and serious injury, our system is pretty effective, it does well. Whether it's quite so effective at the more welfare things that we were talking about in the middle, that's a debatable question. Then there are debates about whether it should be doing that, if you see what and yeah. that. That's links back to the care review questions, but I do worry that all the emphasis on these serious cases, I think does portray uh, social work, particularly social work because it's social work that takes the brunt of it, though social work of course isn't the only profession involved, but social work takes the brunt of these and it, it portrays it as a failing system, and that isn't actually true and isn't helpful.
1: and actually that does bring me to another point that's in the report about finding good practice yeah. how do we do that and what does that look like
3: and how do we then celebrate that as you say the, many of the uh, rapid reviews um, and, and the fuller practice reviews uh, indicated uh, lots of areas of what was termed good practice most of that was what we would probably expect the kind of practice we would expect from professionals but how you go about finding the people who went above and beyond um, may not be easy in the cases that we're looking at. So maybe it, it's a completely different study of what practitioners do well in, in different local authorities, because if, if something's gone wrong, um, a lot of the time we're not, not hearing about you know the, the good things that perhaps happened along the way. So I think we need to look at a different population perhaps or different look at something different to find out about good practice
2: i agree another thing that of course stands out there is good practice but what it shows how how fragile it is in the sense that all the good practice can be undone by one or two particular pieces of poor practice that unravel it so it, again it, it highlights the difficulty of the job and the importance i suppose of a whole a whole systems of view of it where did that particular thing go wrong and why did it have such knock-on effects that all the good work that had got unraveled as a result of that so i think yeah we've got to look at the more successful cases not just the uh the hard cases but also bear in mind how how dramatic the effects of just one mistake can be
3: and it's not even necessarily a mistake, I would say, it could, be a, it could be a series of mistakes, but it's also no practitioner can be with a family 24-7. So ho- however good the practice is or, you know, whether practice is as expected, these things will still happen.
1: Thank you so much, Penny and Jonathan, for being with us today. It's been really interesting. I I've, I think this is fascinating, Um, not just because I've been part of the, the study, but I just think from somebody who works in workforce development that actually sees the results of the the reviews when they come out has to think about learning um and how we get some of that learning across it's just uh, the work is really valuable so thank you and thank you for being with us today and sharing it
2: thanks very much
0: thank Thank you you.
3: it's been a pleasure thank you for asking us (laughs)
1: Our conversation today with Penny and Jonathan highlights the complexity of safeguarding work. The rapid reviews, the local children's safeguarding practice reviews and the SCRs before them all demonstrate that if we can learn anything it is recognising the role everyone has in safeguarding children and young people. As Jonathan says these are complicated areas of practice which are never going to be solved completely. The use of thresholds is already difficult for different professionals to manage and negotiate, as we can see in the rapid reviews and the practice reviews. The age old issues of communication and referrals are seen throughout. However, a separation of safeguarding from the rest will only, in my view, exacerbate these issues, not solve them. And as Penny reminds us, most of the time, practitioners are managing to do their jobs well, despite the systemic issues they face. And yet we don't have an effective mechanism for learning from all of the good practice so maybe we should be exploring this for me safeguarding with this message of promoting welfare underpins all the work that we do with children young people and their families i hope that the group conducting the review takes heed of the concerns and ideas of professionals and researchers alike so that children and young people can receive seamless early support that listens to and appropriately responds to their needs. Thank you for listening.